DC Screens, the podcast where we watch movies, talk movies, and argue movies with a particular focus on film culture in and around Washington, D.C. I'm Josh. And I'm Claire. And today we are talking about a film that is screening at a couple different places uh, in the D.C. area. It is the great masterpiece of probably the zenith of Western civilization, I'm going to go ahead I would and agree say. with that. Yeah. Uh, Harold Ramis's Groundhog's... Uh, <laughs> this is it. I can't pronounce it. The... Harold Ramis's Groundhog Day. Yeah. Which, of course, the holiday itself is February 2nd. So. Right, and that's when it's screening in our area. So Sun Cinema is showing Groundhog Day on Groundhog Day, um, and the Angelica Mosaic in Fairfax is also screening it on Groundhog Day. And Sun Cinema actually released a photo on their Instagram account where they had... <laughs> they always release their calendar on their Instagram account. And then um, they tweet it. And then they tweet it. And... Uh, this was clearly a joke, but I know at least one person who fell for it and thought it was real. I totally thought it was real, um, and I thought it was brilliant, and I was actually very excited and was ready to watch it every day. So some cinema. You didn't actually tell them what the joke was. So I'm telling like, them right now. Okay. I'm telling them right now. So Sun Cinema released their calendar, and every day that they were open for the month of February, it said that they were going to screen Groundhog Day, uh, which is just brilliant, and I, I was really committed to kind of watching it at least a few times uh, when they were screened until I found out that it was a joke because I obviously don't pick up on these things and uh, I'm easily punked I think I'm just very Mm. gullible (laughs) so I thought it was real and I was so excited and I texted you and then you're like is this real and I was like yeah it's real duh Um, it wasn't real so they're actually Mm. only screening it on one day on February 2nd which is appropriate but at what time so it'll be screening at Sun Cinema at 8 p.m. on Groundhog Day, and it'll be screening at the Angelica Mosaic in Fairfax at um, 7.30 p.m. So i got to say that I was only like partially joking when I referred to this film as a zenith of what – I mean this is like a – it's like a great film. Yeah, and, and I think – you know, But it's also like a, it's like a central – You're tech. like speechless. <laughs> yeah, it's like a I, – I, I can't think of a it's movie – It's like the Ulysses of our age. <laughs> Yeah, well, but no, not. but yeah, they made it makes Joyce look like a chump, honestly. Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just it, I can't think of a movie that has made me laugh as much, has entertained me as thoroughly, but also given me as much to think about, right? In a way that is there's nothing, there's not a single truly unpleasant moment in this movie. There, there's unpleasantness, but there's uh, never a moment where it, me as the audience uh, member feels assailed. Everything is very gentle, but it will make you rethink your life. It will. Um, and I think that you know the, the National Film Registry will agree with you on the fact that this movie is just amazing because they included it in 2006 in, in their registry. Uh, they deemed it as being, what, 
that's the library, right? Library yeah, yeah. They they deemed it as culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Um, so you know that designation means nothing. Like they don't, it's not like they preserve it like physically. Well, it's just like they put it on a list and that's it. Yeah, I guess you're right. And they they released the list like earlier. Um, <laughs> shut me <Guess> down. <laughs> that's the last time I so, point something out. No, 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 no. So. Um, so why is this movie, do you think, uh, such a landmark of Western civilization, and why do you think it's so important? Because I think that this movie uh, does make you want to watch it several times. I don't think that's the point, right? The point is not to watch this movie a million times, and somehow that'll... Uh, there, there were these people in Liverpool uh, in, 2000, I think it was 2016, that went to the theater, and they were going to watch it like 12 times in 24 hours, just over and over on loop. I think that's missing the point. I mean, you watch this movie, it's enjoyable, you can watch it multiple times, but that's not the driving force behind this movie. So what did you, what do you think is so appealing about this film? Other than the fact that it's just, it makes you laugh. It makes you cry. makes you rethink your life. First of all, I don't know for sure that that's not the point. Um, really? I mean, I've never tried to watch it multiple times in 24 hours or any other period of time. So there, there are many levels to what makes Groundhog Day such a successful film and such a memorable film and some film you want to revisit over and over again. It's maybe the best performance from this enormously charming actor that we all know and love, Bill Murray. It's really tightly written script. The conceit is... It's a great idea, well executed. Mm -hmm. It says something profound about the nature of human life without ever seeming self-consciously philosophical or right. And it uh, it does it does have kind of a a mission in the sense that it's trying to get the audience to think about the the value of time and what life is for and what kinds of things they need to accomplish for their life to mean anything. Right. And what kinds of things are within our power to change and what kinds of things are not within our power to change. We can make ourselves better people. Perhaps we can't. If someone's time to die, they're going to die. So you um, have, obviously, Bill Murray's uh, transformation from a glum, uh, cynical weatherman to a like the greatest human of all time. Um, but, you know, he can't save the life of the homeless person. There's only certain things that he has the power to do. Um but he can aid the experience that the homeless person is having until his death. So in mm-hmm. in the first scene, I think he, the homeless man dies. He takes him to a hospital. He, he dies there, and he wants to know why he dies. There's just no reason. He's just old. And then later, he buys him soup. He uh, gives him CPR. And I think that you know these acts become incredibly selfless as he obviously progresses in the movie and grows. And, and I think maybe it's not even cynical but egocentric right they say that egocentric is phil's defining characteristic and then he learns at the end that maybe he's not maybe he's not the greatest person in the world but he's the greatest person in punxsutawney (laughs) and he has learned that service to others is is more important than serving himself and i think that that has been it's not even that he has to demonstrate these acts to win the affection of andy mcdowell's character of rita it's just that he that change has become internalized and it's no longer a performance. It's now just who he is. And she sees that because everyone comes up and thanks him at that festival banquet. And it's now, he's no longer self-centered and a narcissist and this egocentric maniac who is just completely, like you said, yeah, I guess glum would be one of the other things, but he is a caring person who puts people other than himself first 
And I think that's that's significant at the very last line. Well, not the I guess it's not the last line in the movie, but one of the last lines when he finally wakes up and it's the next day. And one of the first things he, you know, Rita says, like, you fell asleep last night. And he said it was the end of a very long day. And then he says, he asks, is there anything I can do for you today? And we know that it's like, it's stuck. He knows now that it's like, not what can I do for myself today? What can I do for you today? And, and that's, that's love. Like he understands that now. And it took him God, we don't know how many years to figure that out. You yeah. know? It's like the um, uh, American Hollywood comedy version of Akiru, like the Kurosawa movie, you know, about like... Oh, okay. I thought you were saying Akira, like Akira. the anime. I was like, yes, Akira. Akira. No, Akira. Yes, yes, Akira. yes, 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 yes. Uh, yeah, about, you know, the, the uh, what it would really take to have your life actually mean something mm-hmm. as opposed to just kind of wait it out and hope you don't get hurt. I do think that we could talk about what makes this movie successful not like successful like in terms of its popularity but what makes it so good mm-hmm. in terms of what it doesn't do because hmm. first of all they never explain what happens to him and mm-hmm. it seems we're so this movie is such like a touchstone for everyone now that we never really think about this it's happens just, it's now. like how he how he starts this cycle yeah he didn't like yeah. get cursed by a gypsy right. apparently that was like in the original script oh, really? there was an explanation as to what happened yeah he's make... not visited by three ghosts like in a christmas carol he's just all of a sudden in a time loop that never ends yeah and there's never any kind of outside explanation as to why this magical event happened if that if they put that in there it's not a good movie i mean right. it might still be a good movie but it's not this movie it's not a great movie why do you think it would ruin the movie if they included why this happened to him like it's... any reason any fictional reason or purpose for this happening to him why do you think it would destroy the movie i think that besides it being a clear like like an obvious explanatory device and just another mechanation of the plot it would also announce to the character why this was happening to him and instead of watching him slowly realize that he's living the same day over and over again and trying to figure out why this might be happening and what he could do with it or what he's supposed to do with mm-hmm. it that there is some way out he has to change who he is in order to escape this prison of this one groundhog day we would instead get a bunch of scenes of him being like oh my god what that gypsy lady said was true or what the angel <laughs> I see. oh my god the angel said that was happening now it's happening like it would just be dumb it wouldn't be it's 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 just so perfect and simple that it just happens mm-hmm. and it also it also gets out of bill murray's way and just kind of lets him be this character uh so we have his relationships with his colleagues we have the romance with andy mcdowell who i will say not my favorite actress, but she's good in this. Um, and uh, we have well, all she these... was a model first, right? Wasn't she like a model? I don't need to all do right, a whole okay. Andy McDowell okay. bit. Okay. Uh, we'll do it. We, like we got a separate three-part podcast about <laughs> Andy McDowell, bad actress or okay actress. It's a real heated <laughs> okay. controversy. Um, but, uh, you know, like all the really, uh, you know, the local color. These really Stephen Tablowski. Yeah, all these, yeah. It's a doozy. <laughs> all these great, like, uh, tertiary characters um, that populate this uh, fictional version of Puxatoni. There's never anything happening in the movie except Bill Murray trying to figure out what he's going to do, how to get these people to like him, how to make their lives better. And, uh, not in the beginning know, though, later, well, yeah, 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 later, yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. his, his journey is the center. It's never about right. like him navigating this, like, you know, magical universe or right. him having some kind of encounter with, like you said, like a three ghosts, something like yeah. that. We just have to accept that this is happening to him. The way that they 
extract just the right amount of laughs out of watching him repeat the same moment over and over again. I mean, is there a can you think of a single time when it's like, ah, we didn't need that fifth? You know, it's just no, it's, it's perfect. Think of think of the pitfalls. They've just you know they've created this conceit where there's just this one obvious thing that could go wrong, which is that it becomes monotonous. It becomes re- repetitive and in a doesn't. bad way, and it never does. Yeah. And even with things that are redundant, that, that are repetitive, that come up, so that slapping sequence where Andy McDowell, I keep saying Andy McDowell, where Rita slaps Phil Connors multiple times, and it's just a shot of her slapping him Then one night, and then the next night she slaps him again, and then she slaps him again. It must happen like ten times, and mm-hmm. each time it's funny, because you realize, you know, these characters are going to respond and react in the same way. Mm-hmm. They're all going to say the same thing. It's just him who's changing, right? Mm-hmm. Or not changing. And then even the suicide sequences, um, he does them in different ways. You know, there's like the toaster scene, and then he drives off a cliff with a groundhog, and, you know, all these different things also could become dangerously monotonous, like you said, but they don't. And I think that they somehow, it, the balance is kept at the right level. Yeah. Uh, the strategy seems to be to like there's the opening sequence the first day that establishes what a rotten person he is. Yeah. And then you get the second day where he sees that this is happening to him. And then the further along in the story we get, um, so yeah, like the, it becomes really economical. Like you'll, I mean, one of the pivotal moments is when he tries and almost succeeds. He get, almost succeeds at getting Andy McDowell's affections. They have that great moment where they're playing. So they have that snowball fight with the kids, um, and it's very natural. It's really organic, and then they don't get together. Mm-hmm. And then he tries to recreate that moment really superficially, yeah. art- artificially. The next time, fails. And then I think it's then we get to see. So we, you know, we see it once in one way. We see it another time in a slightly shorter, different way. And then we know that it's repeating over and over again. Like the film has taught us how to interpret that series of slaps. Like we know what leads up to each one of them. This film effortlessly tells us what the rules of the world are, what they aren't. We never, and there's never really a moment where we uh, kind of don't know why this is happening, even though it's a perfectly absurd situation. Yeah, I mean, it's absurd in, in a way, right? But I, I saw this interview with uh, Eckhart Tolle, where he talks about Groundhog Day in a very affectionate manner for like 10 minutes. I he... don't know who that is. I, I don't read any self-help books. I have never read this Eckhart. The Power of Now. The Power of Now. Never read it. I have I read it. I read self-help books. I, of course, I've read it. Read yeah. I know you have. We talked yeah. about it. Okay, so... Um, in this in this video, and you should find it on YouTube because it's like it's like maybe ten minutes, and it's it's pretty fun. But he talks about how much he loves this movie, and he says that uh, that Phil is released from the cycle of suffering as he begins to surrender and accept the present moment and becomes a positive force in the present moment. But then he says, and this is going back to your absurd comment that I'm trying to expand on here. Um, he said the, the conditioned mind tends to replicate itself. So you have these reactive patterns, right? So we tend, he says, we tend to recreate similar life experiences through our reactions and recreate similar relationships. So it's absurd in in the way that that this is happening over and over and over in this time loop of the same day, of the same year, in the same town, with the same events and the same people doing the same things. But it's not absurd in the way that we all kind of reenact our similar patterns in every day of our life until we learn what we have to learn from them, right? Until we, until we get it. 
so it's 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 not it's this like very you know we're not going to get too much into the philosophy of of this movie here because i think that's you know that's been done but you are going to relive the same patterns until you get what you need to get from them which is something that pima children said that too she said something like um nothing ever goes away until it has taught us what we need to know that's this movie, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we, we don't know how many years he's there, but until he changes his attitude and puts someone else first, um, it's just he's not going to be released from the cycle. I like how you said we're not going to get into the philosophy of this movie, but that's pretty much all we've talked about so is far. Is it? I guess it is. It's but, hard um, to avoid it because it no, is a really fun movie. Yeah, but, it's a very fun movie. But we can also deconstruct it, and I don't think we should get too much into so that. This is as close as we're ever going to get to like, um, like, a, like a hilarious bill murray comedy that is also like an existential meditation on the meaning of life and the purpose of life and it's accessible it's not as close it is that what it is right and it's not like an art house film it's just so uh, endearing i don't know it's just so great i don't know it is it's a totally charming movie there isn't a single part about it that is off-putting Right. And, and I think going back to, you know, the, the way that we change and the way that we move forward, there's this great line in, in the film, uh, Phil is telling Rita, I, I'm, I'm a God. And she's like, you're God. And he says, I'm not God, I'm a God. Uh, and so he keeps telling her, he's like, I want you to believe in me. And the waitress is trying to get his order. And, and she says, I can come back if you're not ready. He's not ready. He's this whole movie is him not ready for whatever life it has to offer because he hasn't changed his perspective. He's just this like Grinch. And it's not until he shifts that perspective, like Andy McDowell says, that he begins to enjoy life. Right. And, and it's like, OK, now I'm ready. Now I'm ready to interact with these people. And I know their stories and I know who they are. And I think that's the interesting part, too, because when he gets to know these townspeople and when he gets to do these these different things and, and learn more and learn what he has to learn, he he realizes that knowing about these townspeople is not just listing things out in your notepad. So when he tells Rita, oh, I know that you don't like, you know, white chocolate and, and this and that, she says, is that what love is to you? Just lists? Is that is that what it is? So lists become observations. And now he's like, oh, I, these people like WrestleMania. And then they become actions right so then he buys this this couple tickets to wrestlemania when he has brought them back together because the the woman was having doubts and i think that that progression from listing things that will you know maybe maybe define this person or make them who they are that's not who the person is right he's not just because andy mcdowell doesn't like white chocolate and she likes french poetry that isn't who she is. And it's not until he sees these people for who they really are that he learns about himself too, right? And and who he is and what he's capable of. I think that's beautiful. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> no, I, I agree. It is it is like a beautiful vision of what what we all want, which is to have like one perfect day that right. puts our life on track and just transforms it into everything it's supposed to be setting aside the, the philosophical side of uh, the film, setting aside the philosophical implications of the film and its possible therapeutic value. I think, yeah. Do we, uh, do we know how long he's actually trapped in Groundhog Day? No. So, I mean, he learns piano, he learns Baudelaire. Mm -hmm. Um, he, he does a million other things, right? 
these things take several years to, to perfect, much less learn or learn, much less perfect. Um, so I, I mean, it could be 10 years. I think Harold Ramis said something like it's more like at least like, I think he said 40 years or something at least. Um, and, but it could be like 10,000 years. It could be a hundred years. How many years does it take for you to get your life right? I don't know. I mean, it could be forever. It could be an eternity that he's here. Mm. We don't know. I don't know. That could be one of the darker implications of the movie is that you'll only ever be able to get the life that you want if you had this, like, infinite amount of time. I know. So Phil has experienced what none of us ever – so he's, like, just showing us, like, what life could be like if this thing happened to you, but it never will. So you'll never have enough time to be the person right, that you should be. Right, I know. Be. I know. No, I thought about that too. But there's this one part where, um, he, you know, he dismisses these people in, in the diner as morons and they're, like, this, you know, typical country bumpkin type people. And then he goes bowling with them and, you know, he drives – the car recklessly and there's this part where one of the the quote-unquote morons says look out for your shadow phil right and he tells this to phil connors and he says you're like you're like the groundhog look out for your shadow phil um and it's almost like that's that's what's holding him back right his shadow his negativity his his lack of optimism his his wrong perspective if you will um and so when he sees his shadow, essentially, it's not just six more weeks of winter. It's like an eternity. And as the people on the radio say, it's cold out there. And he says it's cold out there every day until he, like, <laughs> fucking gets it right. Right? I mean, it's some a cold funniest, fucking Some of the funniest winter. shit is, like, when he has given up. Like, before <laughs> he, after he realizes what his situation is and before he realizes he has to change his life, um... When he's fallen into despair, actually, those are some of the funniest moments. No, I agree. Yeah, he has some great lines. Um, I, I guess you know the the funniest part to that was when he just completely <laughs> when he goes to the Punxsutawney festival or whatever that thing is at Gobbler's Knob, and he's like, "They worship a rat," and like it's just like it's so it's so funny. But he's being such an asshole, and these people are filming him, and they can't recreate this moment and redo it. I mean, well, they well. They don't think they can. He's going to recreate it tomorrow. Mm. But he's just calling this thing a rodent. And it's just the funniest thing. I Yeah, anyway. It's, it's what, what's so remarkable about the film, kind of going back to considering the greatness of this movie and how well it's endured and how well it's aged in terms of things it doesn't do, the idea of taking Groundhog Day, the actual holiday, which is... <laughs> kind of like a joke right. and creating and making it like a metaphor for like life and for the the stakes of life and yeah. for the the mindset is necessary to transform yourself salvation i mean this movie Freedom. has made groundhog day like an actual holiday and not just some kind of like like this this movie I feel like generations from now, people will think that like Groundhog Day exists because of this movie and not the other way around. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, I can see it that. It has made Groundhog Day significant in a way that it was always just kind of dumb before. Yeah, and we have a little festival in D.C. Have you been to that one? It's like the Potomac Phil. Yeah. There's like a little stuffed groundhog. Potomac in, Phil. It's a in, stuffed, that's good. It's a stuffed, stuffed groundhog. groundhog. I agree with I have that. a picture. I brought one in. Do you um, know? Yeah. In like DuPont Circle, and you just it's just there. I think live groundhog is... All right, so Scooter was it, the name it, of the groundhog. Well, mm -hmm. there were several groundhogs, but they're—I think—they were known as Scooter. Did you ever see that video of uh, New York City Mayor Bill, Bill de, Blasio de Blasio dropping yeah. the groundhog? I did. He killed it. I did. I did. <laughs> it died. He murdered the groundhog. I saw that. Fuck him. Yeah. He's the worst person. Um, <laughs> I'm just, laughing, but it's really sad. I feel bad. It's—it's. It's, 
I feel bad for the groundhog, not for that's, the Blasio. That's what I mean. That's yeah. Like, yeah, of course I feel bad for the groundhog. Um, <laughs> Poor thing. Yeah. Poor rat. It's just, yeah. <laughs> every time I think of, every time I th- see that video, I just think, like, what if Bill de Blasio, like, had his own groundhog? <laughs> like, he just lived his life over and over and over and over again for that one day, and he could never not drop the fucking groundhog, and eventually God or whoever just, like, fuck it. Just, like, let him, let him do it. Let him be He's going to do it. He's not going to change. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, okay, but going back to that, so what – the thing that I found most – not most intriguing, but quite intriguing about this film is, is you see Phil Connors get so close – to being released from this cycle. So so he it's like he's given all these chances, he does what he can, and you see him getting closer. And so there's there's that one night, like we talked you mentioned this earlier, um, and I'm wondering why that night he doesn't get it right. So he says, um, you know, Andy McDowell is is falling asleep, you know, she doesn't hear him. And so he says, this is the quote, I don't deserve someone like you, but if I ever could, I swear I would love you for the rest of my life. But that's still not enough, right? Like, that's still not enough. And and he he still has work to do. He still has things to get right. And then later, like we talked about already, he asks, like, is there anything I can do for you? But why is that not enough at that point? Because by the end of the film, he has realized that the way out of the Groundhog Day trap is not to win Andy McDowell over. Like, that's not what it's about. That's mm-hmm. something that's going to happen right. as a consequence. But he has to become... A person who's who's lovable, <laughs> who's lovable, and who is like like essential to. If you thought about the conceit too literally, it would to kind of defy explanation. But he becomes this like essential member of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, he becomes essential to the lives of everyone in Puxatoni in a single day because he knows exactly what each of them need by the end, and that is what that that's not about him earning her love. That's about him being the kind of person that he should be and realizing that this is not a curse but a gift. He has the chance to make his life the way it's supposed to be and make himself who he's supposed to be. Um, and, you know, Andy McDowell falling in love with him is just the, it's just part of that. It's not the, it's not the goal. It's just something that happens as a consequence of that. Right. Yeah. So that, that becomes his nature, right? Yeah. So um, in that kind of, part of the film where he's trying to woo her and he's almost successful. He's still not, not doing all this other stuff. He's still just trying to kind of figure out how to seduce her, even in a kind of more enlightened way or more um, genuinely romantic way. He's still thinking about what can he do to get what he wants. Right. And that's, that's why it doesn't work right. in that way ever. Like he never makes that, you know, very, you know, uh, you know, charged night where they have this, you know, real moment together when they, you know, the night where they, where they, um, throw the snowballs at the kids, you know, he never, he never get that back because that's not what he should have been working for to begin with. Right. And then I think the next morning, uh, well, it's actually, I think they go through a few more iterations before he gets it right. But the following a few mornings later, he, you know, Andy McDowell is like, Oh, do you want to go get a cup of coffee? And he says, no, I have some errands to do. And he just leaves to, to, you know, fix a flat tire, to, like, you know, take a piano lesson, to do all these other things that, that he has to do throughout the day that have just become second nature and that he's begun to enjoy, right? It's not just, like, a checklist of things he has to do to be a better person. He's actually genuinely 
he actually cares about these people and he wants to make their lives easier and he knows what's going to happen and he doesn't want a reward for it. There's that kid that falls out of the tree and he, Mm -hmm. he saves him and he says, yeah, I never get a thank you from you. You know, I think, you know, but it's not about getting thanked, right? It's about being this person who saves a kid falling from a tree because you can. If there was ever a better match of a script and an idea and a, a character to an actor, I don't, I don't know what it is. I mean, this this film wouldn't. This film is a just for Bill Murray. Like, yeah. There's no other person that's going to be Phil. Um. And I think a lot of it has to do with the range of. Okay, he's not like a great actor necessarily. Well, he's a great comedic. He's a great comedic talent. Oh come on! I mean, he was in. He was good in Broken Flowers. He was good in. Uh, All right, I'll say this. I'll say Saint this. Saint Vincent. Groundhog Day was the beginning of Bill Murray as a really great actor. I agree with that. Um, Because he was just kind of doing Bill Murray in all the comedies of the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. Um, But he was able to show all of the... And again, it's fairly subtle, but... You know, there's lots of stories about how Bill Murray can be a very unlikable person. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we see that side of him. Like, we see, uh, like, a genuinely acerbic and kind of unlikable person but not in a way that's like a caricature like mm-hmm. he, it's it's subtle enough and it's you know it's not necessarily an incredibly stark contrast he's still the same person at the end he's a good person but his personality doesn't change his attitude his his relationship everything changes um so seeing him in this kind of bitter cynical mode seeing him in this kind of madcap screwball mode seeing him as kind of a uh, this kind of you know idiosyncratic, romantic lead role, seeing him as the dog, the underdog, seeing him as kind of benevolent figure. He's all the the different ways that he can charm the audience or not charm the audience are kind of on display here. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate to use the phrase tour de force because it always just seems like kind of like a like, like a cheesy choice, but that's exactly what this is from mm-hmm. him. No, I agree with that. Um, he definitely demonstrates his his range and his. Right, so uh, this film obviously could not exist and would not exist without Bill Murray in the lead. Like he, as good as the script is, no other actor is going to make sense in this role. Like it's it's built around and for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and even with the good script, the good writing. Yeah, and uh, Harold Ramis directed it. It was written by uh, was it Danny Rubin yeah. and, uh, Harold and Harold Ramis, Ramis together. Right. So what do we know about the production of this film? I know that um, that after production, Harold Ramis and Bill Murray did not speak for like 20 years or something. I mean, they had some sort of falling out. Um, I don't really know why, but it probably has something to do with Bill Murray's, you know, antics. Like he sometimes would just come in late to set. He would do things his way. Um, he, with a lot of movies, and, and I'm a huge fan of Bill Murray. I love pretty much all his work. Um, but I also know that, like you said, he's sometimes very difficult to work with. And I think maybe that put a wedge between him and huh. his friend, Harold Ramis, who was also in the film. He played the neurologist. That's right. Yeah. It, it must have just, everything just must have come together in mm-hmm. the, this perfect way. Um, because as I was saying before, there are lots of ways that this film could go wrong in relatively, you know, small ways or kind of short in terms of the duration of the misstep in the film and totally derailed the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, anything necessarily 
it doesn't the filmmaking doesn't draw much attention to itself at all it is you know most of the other performers besides Bill Murray are you know there's a lot of really great like kind of character actors and good talent there but I don't think that necessarily you know I don't think anyone did a screen test with Bill Murray and Andy McDowell and it was like oof like, <laughs> someone opened test, like yeah, yeah it's like oh you know, unbutton my collar right there it's just it's just uh, right. it's like crackling I could feel it in the air right um but you know they do they are convincing as a as a as a couple as as mm-hmm. him pursuing her and you know uh, Andy McDowell does kind of seem down to earth and likable uh, in this film in a way that she isn't in any other film. <laughs> really? Even like Sex Lies and Videotape, maybe? Yeah, she yeah, talks about the trash. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah. sad that there's so much trash. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. A, yeah, where she plays the like, the weird, frigid housewife. Yeah. Was, yeah. She's, yeah. I like her. I, I like Andy McDowell, and I, I like her in this role, but I, I don't think there's a single thing about this movie that I don't like, so that's probably not saying much for Andy McDowell, because everything, like you said, is just a perfect storm. Yeah. For what it is, it's given it's given the scale of its ambitions, it's a perfect movie. Mm-hmm. It might not be... No, it is. It's a perfect movie, and it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. And... The fact that it's a, you know, kind of looks and feels like a standard Hollywood comedy and features Bill Murray maybe makes people not realize that. But that's that's what it is. It's a it's perfect film. Did it win any awards that do you know if it won any? It shouldn't win a fucking Nobel Prize. I agree. I think like it's, it should. <laughs> definitely it, its reception has grown probably since its release. I oh, think it's yeah. become such a beloved movie that people mm-hmm. just love to watch and love to talk about. Um, and just because I think, like you said, it is a perfect movie in that, in so many ways, but also it's kind of examining the perfect life, right? The perfect day. And in the bigger picture, what is the perfect life? What is the perfect person? Uh, what does it mean to achieve that? And I think the funny part is, is that something like when they're having a perfect day, Andy McDowell says, uh, you couldn't have planned a better day. And then Bill Murray says... Well, you could. <laughs> it's, I mean, but it, it, it's when it becomes, when he goes off the script that he stops doing these like contrived kind of, um, you know, reenactments that, that it becomes real and that he's able to free himself. I always wonder what like the day after Groundhog Day was like. <laughs> did, anyone, did, anyone, did anyone want like get around him? He's kind of sitting around like, Phil's like, like a total dick like two days ago, and now he's like the best person on earth. Like, what happened? Right. I'm sure they, you know, again, you can't think that hard about the conceit. Um, but it, it never, it's like a perfect sleight of hand. Like, the, 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 the conceit behind the film is totally absurd, but it's the exact amount of explanation that we need, which is as little as possible. Mm-hmm. And it never gives you an opportunity to be distracted enough or be kind of um, detached enough from what's going on in the story to like, to like poke holes in the premise, which I don't even think there are that many of them. No. The same, but like it really just, I refuse ex- to execution. try and poke holes. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it should be illegal. It should be, I know <laughs> should be <laughs> treason. <laughs> yeah. People, people like writing stuff on the internet about like how, you know, the, <laughs> ridiculous implications of Groundhog Day or like what would happen the days after like trying to like poke holes and then it should be tried in the Hague. Yeah. All right. Um, so Groundhog Day is going to be screening at Sun Cinema at 8 
on Groundhog Day and at the Angelica Mosaic in Fairfax at 7.30 on Groundhog's Day. Groundhog's Day. Groundhog, Groundhog, yeah, it's not Groundhog, Groundhog it's Groundhog Day. Day. Right. Okay. Anyway, I know you've seen this movie before. It's probably going to be on TV and shit. Go see it with an audience. It'll be great. You'll love it. So until next time, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, some other films that are coming to uh, DC theaters. Uh, I'm Josh. And I'm Claire. And thank you for listening. Happy Groundhog Day. Happy Groundhog Day. What's this fucking thing? Hold on. Maybe it has an important No, it has. It's right. I guess that's so we don't have a plot, but at least.